NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Mylock, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, the podcast where we break down the careers of former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we're talking about former NBA power forward Rashid Wallace and whether or not he should be in the basketball Hall of Fame. And joining us in just a moment, discuss Rashid's career and Hall of Fame candidacy is NBA writer at Bleacher Report and the host of the Rose Garden Report podcast, Sean Hyken. But before we bring Sean on, let's talk a little more about Rashid Wallace. So Rashid Wallace played from 1995 to 2010. And they actually came back in the 2012-2013 season to play 21 games for the Knicks, so 16 total seasons in the league. He was a four-time All-Star. He won the NBA championship with the Detroit Pistons in 2004. Um, and in that finals run, averaged 13 points per game, eight boards with two blocks through 23 games in that playoff run. For his career, he averaged 14 points per game, seven boards, two assists, and shot 47% from the field, 34% from three, and 72% from the free throw line. He had 16,006 career points, 7,404 career rebounds, 1,460 career blocks, 1,090 career steals, and 1,086 career three-pointers. Now, the reason I emphasize that last three of thousands here, that over a thousand blocks, over a thousand steals, and over a thousand threes, is because it's a very rare club that puts him in. There's only five people in NBA history that have a thousand blocks, a thousand steals, a thousand three pointers. It's Rashid. It's Clifford Robinson. Rest in peace, Cliff. And then it's LeBron, Kevin Durant, and Dirk Nowinski. That's the list. Exclusive. Rashid, someone who played in the playoffs all the time. He played in eight conference finals during his career, three NBA finals. Played 177 playoff games. It's a lot. In the history of the playoffs, he's 17th in career block shots, 27th in career three-pointers, 45th in career playoff points, 42nd in rebounds, 57th in steals. Think about it. He's top 50 in the playoffs all time in points, rebounds, three-pointers, and blocks. Just outside of the top 50 in steals. That's pretty impressive. So Rashid, again, always in the playoffs. Versatile player with that thousand, thousand, thousand club. So should he be in the Hall of Fame? That's what Sean and I are going to discuss, as well as other topics of Rashid Wallace. And I'm sure you can figure out what I mean by that. And we will go into those details and more on today's podcast. So very fun one today. Um, with the quick facts out of the way, let's bring on Sean. All right, so I'd like to welcome to the podcast today NBA writer at Bleacher Report and the host of the Rose Garden Report podcast, Sean Hyken. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Jim. It's I'm, I was excited when you reached out to me and asked me to do this and talk about Rasheed Wallace, so I'm looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, I mean, Sean, I'll be honest with you. I've had this podcast for a, a few years now, and when you start a podcast like this, and again... My listeners know we cover all the three main sports. We do not cover, we've covered one hockey. So I guess we can say we've covered the four main sports here, but there's a few players here and there. And we were actually just talking before about Stefan Marbury, which was a few episodes ago. That was one of them. Rashid Wallace is definitely up there. Um, I mean, one of the more colorful, I would say, players in NBA history. And oh my gosh, if he was playing in today's air of, and I'm sure we'll get to this, of just, him on Twitter, and I, and he's all over still now today, but he would have been even bigger, I think, of a deal nowadays with how we follow players 24-7. Um, so I'm super excited to be here as well to talk to you about Rashid Wallace, you know, super colorful personality, but also one of the more talented players to come through the NBA, I would say, in the last 20, 30 years here. 
Uh, and, and Sean, how we start off every podcast, I'm going to ask you this question that I ask everyone about the player at hand. And I, and I know my answer right off the bat, but I'm curious about yours. When you think of Rashid Wallace, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? My childhood. Because <laughs> I grew up in Portland. Okay. In the, and I got really into basketball in the late 90s and early 2000s. So right at the height of that run with those teams that were him. And my favorite player as a kid was always Brian Grant, but it was those two mm. and Damon Stoudemire and Stacy Augman and Scotty Pippen was on one of those teams. Uh, Steve Smith was there. Like that was my childhood was all those teams Sabonis. Uh, so that's kind of always what I think of. And, and she having, you know, been in Portland during that time, it was his relationship with, the city and the fan base has always been interesting to me because he was one of the guys that kind of hung around after like there was there was that period where uh you know they were going to the conference finals every year they they, they lost to san antonio in 99 they lost to the lakers in 2000 and then after that they never won another playoff series for another you know decade and a half but rashid was one of the guys that stuck around kind of after the peak of that era into you know he was traded in 2004 obviously would and then you know to Atlanta and then after one game he ended up in Detroit and was on that team but he was kind of there for the start of what was called at the time the jailblazers with and and the way that those teams were viewed at the time here locally versus the way that they're viewed now is so fascinating to me because at the time there was a lot of like there were a couple of like actually bad guys on those uh teams like Ruben Patterson had like a rape yeah. charge and domestic violence stuff so like that was some actually serious stuff and Quintel Woods got busted for running a dog fighting ring at one point so there were guys that like did actually really bad stuff but most of the stuff that people locally and fans got really mad and up in arms about and this includes Rashid because obviously there was that famous incident when him and Damon Stoudemire were driving back from a game in Seattle in the Hummer and they got pulled over and there was weed in the car. That was most of what those guys were doing. And so at the time it was like, these guys are out of control. And these, you know, you go back and read some of the stuff that the local like sports columnists were writing at the time about how these players are out of control and it's an embarrassment to the city. And you look back in retrospect, it's like most NBA players smoke weed. Like, who cares? It's legal in most places now, including in Portland. So growing up with, you know, around, you know, that whole time, it was interesting to view all that stuff. And then, you know, as a greater NBA fan, like I grew up a huge Blazer fan, like going to games with my dad and like I had all the jerseys and the cards and stuff. Having done this professionally for about 10 years now, my personal fandom of a team and, you know, live, like being emotionally invested in whether a team wins or loses kind of goes away after a while because my job isn't to be a fan of the team anymore, but I still have a soft spot for all of those late nineties, early two thousands Blazers teams that I grew up with. So Rashid was a huge part of that. And then as a, you know, as a greater NBA fan, like the, you know, the fact that like, you know, the ball don't lie stuff like the, you know, that being his catchphrase and like both teams played hard and just all that, all that, like cut the check, you know, all the, all those other ones, like, it's he's definitely one of the like you said earlier he's one of the more colorful characters in the league in the last 30 years yeah so you you brought up the jailblazers thing and, and definitely when you think of those teams i think i think the common fan the average fan probably forgets that they you know made two western conference finals those teams i mean those are some of the better teams when you think of the best teams to not make the finals i i I always think of those Phoenix Suns teams in the, the mid 2000s. I, I think of that Sacramento. one year, Sacramento Kings. Yeah, that's what I think immediately it took the Lakers to seven games. But the Blazers the Rockets, took the, the Rockets the, the, a couple of years ago was a big one for me. The, oh, the Harden, sure. the first Harden, Harden, Chris Paul, yeah, the Harden MVP year. Yeah, that yeah. team won 65 games and took the Warriors to seven. So, so those are the teams I think of. I think people forget like that Blazers team in 2000 took the Lakers. The Shaq average, I mean, that was the year Shaq averaged 38 and 17 in the finals. They took that Lakers team to game seven, and they had a 15-point lead in the fourth quarter in game seven before they kind of imploded. And then, of course, Lakers get the finals. It's the Pacers there, and they win pretty easily. If the Blazers get past them 
in the, in that game seven, I, I think the Blazers have an NBA championship. Oh, they would have beaten Indy for sure. And I, yeah. and, I, and I think Rasheed Wallace has a finals MVP that year. And how does that change the narrative of what we're talking about today? I mean, it does quite a bit, but yeah. That's how it changes. It, change, it changes it for a lot of these guys. Like you just mentioned those Phoenix and those Sacramento teams. Like Chris Webber just got into the hall of fame like two years ago. Yeah. I thought it was crazy that it took him that long to get into the hall of fame. If that Sacramento team in 2002 had beaten the Lakers in the conference finals and even just gotten to the finals, let alone win a championship. I think it wouldn't have taken until 20 was it like 21 that he finally got in the hall yeah, of fame. Like just got in. And I also think that, you know, some of those Suns teams in the mid 2000s, the D'Antoni Nash ones, obviously Nash was a no brainer Hall of Famer, no matter what. But if any of those teams had actually broken through and won a title, we'd probably be talking about Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion being Hall of Famers right now. Yeah, it, it changes. It changes a lot. And they again, this is one of the and again, I just don't think these Blazers teams get brought up as much as some of these others you just mentioned. But those teams were really, really solid. And Rashid was, on those teams, the, the best player. And, and you were talking about the Jailblazers earlier. And there's an entire book written about that by Kerry Eggers, who actually has come on this show before. Yeah, I know um, Kerry quite and, well. Yeah, and, and, you know, you talked – I think, Sean, you painted it well, right? Rashid Wallace, like, he was, he was getting technical fouls, which is a part of the game, and he was smoking pot off the court. Other guys on the team, like Patterson Woods, had – you know, actual crimes they're committing yet that book, he's the cover. He's on the cover. <laughs> Rasheed Wallace is on the cover. So I, I want to say here, and, and I want your thoughts, you know, we're going to talk for this podcast about his talent, what he did on the floor, but his association with these quote unquote jailblazers being on the cover of that book, being associated with that team. And then his personality in general and all the other things you throw out, he's the ball don't lie, all that stuff. Does that kind of overshadow sometimes you think his talent because that's what you think of when you think of Rashid sometimes before, and not maybe you, but a lot of people will think of that stuff before they even begin to think of, wow, he was a fantastic player on the court. Here in Portland, I think there is a lot of that going on. And I think something that has to be brought up. And I, I was, I was a kid, like I said, I was a kid when he was playing on the Blazers. So I was not, in those locker rooms, I was not covering the team like on a media level at the time. But Rashid, and you know, I've talked to, you know, I've talked to Jason Quick about this. I've talked to different people who have covered those teams. Carrie, as you mentioned, Rashid was not ever interested in being, you know, playing ball with the media and, you know, doing interviews or, you know, do it, you know, being available when guys are supposed to be available. And Rightly or wrongly, like a lot of media members, I, I myself do my best to not ever, you know, take that stuff personally and not affect, you know, the way that a player treats media to, you know, let that affect how I view them as a player or how I view their careers or how I cover them as objectively as possible. But there was a lot of, since Rashid was not a guy who was, you know, very media friendly a lot of reporters, I think, who were covering the team at the time weren't really inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt when he got into trouble or when different stuff happened. So I think there's some of that. And I think, I mean, this is going to be a whole other thing to get into. And I actually would highly recommend uh, a good buddy of mine, Corbin Smith, who's a freelance writer uh, for a number of different places. He writes a lot for the Daily Beast. But back in, I want to say this was like 2018 or 2019, he wrote a piece for Deadspin back when Deadspin was still what Deadspin was at one point before it became kind of what it is now. He wrote this piece for Deadspin about Portland's relationship with the Jail Blazers. And he got into a lot of, I would highly recommend going back and reading that and seeking it out. But he got into a lot of really interesting stuff about the racial dynamics in Portland, which is an extremely white city, like population and demographics wise. But the only pro sports team in the city is the is an NBA team. And the NBA, of course, is a very heavily majority black league. And so there was a whole lot of like some of the stuff that Rashid was doing, like, again, he was getting busted for weed and he was, you know, getting, you know, losing his temper on the court. When it's a black player doing that, you hear a lot of, oh, this guy's a thug or whatever, you know, yep. stuff that people were per totally okay to say at the time, but, you know, those that type of language and labels would never be acceptable today. And 
So there was kind of a lot of that stuff going on. I mean, I'll, I'll say this, Rashid, I don't think, I, I, a lot of Blazer fans now love him because looking back in retrospect, he was an awesome player. And, you know, he has kind of those catchphrases and people, you know, NBA fans just generally look at, you know, characters like that as somebody, as uh, people to admire and prop up. Rashid has wanted nothing to do with the Blazers organization since he left. Like they've never like, I don't know if they've ever wanted to retire his number, but number 30 is retired for two other players for Terry Porter and for Bob Gross, who was on the 77 title team. You could make an argument that for what he did in Portland, being on those conference finals teams, and he made a couple of all-star games in Portland, Rashid is just as deserving to have his number retired as any of those guys. But I'll bet that even if they asked him, he would want, he would, he would have no interest in coming to Portland and having the whole ceremony and, a couple of years ago, I think this was the season that the 2019-20 season before it got shut down because of COVID, he, like, they they did this, like, that was their 50th anniversary season because that was the 2020 season and the franchise started in 1970. So over the course of the year, they would do 70s decade night, 80s decade night, 90s decade night, 2000s decade night, where they would have, like, guys who were on the team in those years come to come in, they do like a big ceremony with, you know, with all those guys at half court during halftime and make that into a whole thing. I do know that he was invited to come to, it was either the nineties one or the two thousand ones. He was invited to one of them. And I was told that he did not have much interest in coming to it. Gotcha. Um, so I, I do, Sean, I want to move to our next segment here. We call this that memorable moment and and we're very liberal here but this can really be anything to you can be a specific game playoff series even a season but if you were to say what is the most memorable moment of Rasheed Wallace's career at least to you what would you say it was well to me personally it would probably be that 2000 Blazers team but if you want to look at it more objectively and look at more his entire career it would have to be the title run with Detroit in 2004, right? And just that whole team that, what did they make? Seven straight uh, Eastern Conference I finals. Six, I think it was six straight. Six, yeah, six yeah. or seven, somewhere in there. They, they beat uh, the Lakers in the finals in 04, and then they got back to the finals the next year. And they were basically that up until like, like LeBron, you know, the last time, you know, they were in the conference finals was, was it 07? No, it was, was it 07? Did they were they in the conference finals in 08 or, or was it the Cavs? Because 07, uh, I, I thought I thought 07 was Cat or 07 was the LeBron. Well, no, because what like did the Celtics beat them in the conference finals or the Cavs? I don't remember, but I can't remember. The last time I know they were in the conference finals was 07 because that was the year that the Cavs made the finals because LeBron just went absolutely insane uh, and you know had that overtime game and and so up and basically from like the middle of the 2000s, like the immediate post Jordan era to the when it started being like more LeBron and then like the big three Celtics, the Pistons ran the East and I don't think they would have been nearly as good or as dominant without that midseason trade for Rasheed Wallace. And I would also even go as far to say, to say that might be the greatest midseason acquisition in NBA history, as far as a guy that you trade for at the deadline and immediately helps you win a championship that year. I think Pau Gasol getting traded to the Lakers in 08 comes close, even though they didn't win the title. They made the finals that year and then won the next two after that. But, you know, just he gets traded to Atlanta, plays one game in Atlanta, gets traded to Detroit. And that was like exactly like that, you know, defensive big who can also score and can kind of compliment uh, Ben Wallace and the front court. And then, and is also like an unselfish player and on offense and is able to just like fit in with those guys. He was like the exact guy that that team needed. And he did exactly what they brought him in to do. Yeah. I, you know, I'm racking my brain now, Sean, you brought up an excellent point. Is that one of the best, you know, mid season trades for that current year? I can't think of anything that beats that. Um, how with the Lakers he, is the only one. Yeah. Yeah. If it was the year, you know, they won the championship, as you said, they, I think they made the championship. They lost the Celtics that year, but also that whole uh, second act of Kobe's career sure. with those two titles. He won. That wouldn't have happened if they hadn't traded for Powell. Of, so I think you course. can put that up there. Yeah. I'm thinking though, like in that season, but yeah, that's, that's a great point. I mean, nowadays at the trade deadline, 
you're lucky to pick up like a, a, a nice role player off the bench um, at the midseason to, you know, make your the buyout guys they get and they end up playing 10 minutes. Um, or you trade for James Harden and then it completely <laughs> falls apart two years in a row, do, yeah, or Philly, or, Philly and or, Brooklyn. Yeah. Or, or, or you do that, but no, it's, it's a great point. Yeah, it's, you know, if you look at 2004 when they won the finals, um, you know, Pistons are up 2-1. Uh, Rasheed drops 26 points, 13 boards um, in game four, and that pushes the series to 3-1. And again, when you're playing the Lakers with Kobe and Shaq, uh, you, you never want to, you know, let them tie that series back up. So, you know, Pistons are up 2-1 in that game four. They win that game four because Rashid goes off in that game. And then they, of course, close it out in game five and win that title. Um, you know, without Sheed on that team, I got – that team is so interesting to me, Sean. I, and I think it's interesting to everyone because it's well known they didn't have, you know, that superstar player, right? You know, Ben Walsh is the Hall of Famer off that team, but – you know, he's not scoring much in that, in that series, even though he scored by his means a lot in that series. I think he averaged double digits in that series, but you know, Chauncey Billups wins, wins the MVP of that series. Tayshaun Prince is kind of the glue guy. Rip Hamilton averages 20, but Rashid's kind of that X factor, right? He great defender can score when needed. He does a little bit of everything. If that trade doesn't happen, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here, Sean. If that trade doesn't happen in 2004, that great midseason trade, do you think the Pistons win the NBA championship in 2004? And do they get to the finals in 2005? Do they get to the finals any years? Like how much should that trade swing the history, I guess, of the Pistons in that decade? The I mean, it was, it was a huge, I mean, it would be pretty hard to just imagine them being able to replace what Rashid did for them. The East was kind of weird at that point because you had, this was before the Garnett Pierce uh, Celtics or the Garnett Pierce Allen Celtics. It was like before that, the Celtics were like the team. It was, you, you know, you look at the other teams that were dominant at that point. Like it was basically them and Indy at that point, because, you know, the Cavs, like, Le- like LeBron was, was ascending, but he didn't have the pieces around him to really be able to be, it was like those, it was like them. And then Miami with, with Shaq and Dwayne Wade, the, those were basically the team, the three teams the Detroit Indy and uh, Miami that were the ones that were really, you know, running things at that point in, at, you know, in, uh, in the East. And, I just, I, I don't, if they hadn't gotten sheet, I don't know if they would have been able, I mean, there were a lot of, I mean, that, that Pistons team, as we've said, was, was super deep with, you know, with Chauncey, Rip Hamilton, Tayshawn Prince, Ben Wallace. But I think there's a reason we were just talking about sheet as the greatest midseason acquisition in history, because I don't know if they would have been able to get that far without him. And then my second kind of tough question to put you on the spot here. Again, that team is, I feel like very well known in the 21st century as, again, they don't have a Kobe, a LeBron, Curry, a Durant. They don't have that guy on the team, and they still won. And, again, they went back-to-back. It would have been awesome if they won the second time. Um, if you're looking at that roster, that starting five, with the two Wallaces, Billups, Hamilton, Prince, if you had to, where would you rank Rasheed Wallace in terms of significant importance on that team? I don't think he's the number one guy. I don't know if he's even the number two guy. Where would you rank him, though, in that starting lineup in terms of significance to the success of that team? And again, that's a very tough question because they all have their own roles. They all have their own jobs. But if you you know, had to take one away, take another away, et cetera, where would you rank him on that team? I think I would probably have him third. I think Ben Wallace, just because of the entire defensive identity of that team, I think he has to be number one. And then I would probably put Chauncey at number two and Rashid at three. But those two, you could talk me into flip-flopping. But that's probably where I'd, where I'd land on it. Okay. I like that. I, and, I, and the reason why I asked that, because I'll get here a little later, but we're going to say he was the third best player on a, on a championship team. And, and when I – there's someone I want to talk about later about who – kind of I see a similar role in terms of how he played. I think we might what? be thinking about the same okay. person. Because well, you well, gave you gave me the list of like <laughs> questions to, to to ponder before we started recording well, this. We, and I think we might be thinking of the same person, but we'll right, get to so, it. So so let's go to our next segment. That's perfect here. Our next segment's called And Twins. Ah, no! 
And what we try to do in Ann Twins is we look at the Hall of Fame today, the Basketball Hall of Fame. And there's no wrong answers here. So you can pick anyone you want. It, it can be uh, what we're trying to do here for the listeners this is the first time listening. We try to look at the Hall of Fame and say, who's most closely resembles the topic at hand? So today, Rashid Walls, who's closest to being Rashid's twin? And this can be the style of play. It can be their statistics and their accolades kind of line up. It can just be, you know what, that guy reminds me of him. So for you, Sean, who would you say is Rasheed Wallace's Hall of Fame twin? James Worthy. Is that who you had also? Ooh, no, I didn't. I, I had Chris Bosch down. But oh, I like that. I, I like, like that. The, I, I like the James Worthy, though. Continue on, though. What, what makes you, what make, again, other than being the third guy on championship teams, tell me about him. It's not even just because they both played at Carolina, although there's that too. But yep, there is that. I love the Carolina connection. Both of their numbers, like both both of them, if you look at their career statistics, just like their per game stuff, it does not jump off the screen as this guy has to be a Hall of Famer. Like sure. James Worthy's, you know, career stats just on like the box score stuff, 17.6 points per game, uh, 5.1 rebounds, three assists, one steal. That's pretty good but that's not like you look at that and you just immediately go that's a hall of fame Rashid is pretty similar not quite as many points but you know more rebounds uh more blocks like their stats are both fine but not like this is definitely a hall of famer you look at their advanced numbers though and that's really where for the in the case of both of them I think they're both guys that if they were the best player on their team they would have been able to be, I don't know about the best player on a championship team, but they were able to be, you know, I think if they were required to do more or they wanted to do more, both of them, they would have been able to do more and they would have been able to average a lot more points and they'd be able to have a lot, you know, gaudier stats if they weren't on a team where in James Worthy's case, he was playing with Kareem and Magic. So he was going to be the third scoring option. So he wasn't going to be having to be asked to do a lot. And then in Rashid's case, like, both the Portland team that he was on for a while and the Detroit team, it was such an ensemble cast type of thing where there were other guys who had to do a lot of the scoring. There were other guys who were the, you know, the main defensive anchors and he could just kind of be a glue guy, which the other thing that's unique about Rashid is that most guys, when they're in that kind of role, they are, they get frustrated because like, I want more touches. I want to be featured more. I want more shots. I want to be the first option. Rashid, everything I've ever read, like I, ever since I, you know, you asked me to do this last week, I've gone back and started reading like a bunch of stuff about him and his career just to make sure I was up on stuff. The one thing that everybody says, like his teammates, his coaches, is he was absolutely like good enough to be a top 10 player in the league, but he just Mm -hmm. never wanted to do as much. He wanted to just be a glue guy and play defense and be a role player. And I think that both Rashid and James Worthy like the reason that James Worthy was like immediately like fast-tracked into the Hall of Fame right away is because he was on those iconic Showtime Lakers teams with Kareem and Magic that won several championships whereas Rashid had won and it was on a team where there until very recently and it took Ben Wallace forever to get into the Hall of Fame after he was eligible but he you know is the only hall of famer on that team. And that team is not really held in the same regard as the showtime Lakers who are one of the most iconic teams in NBA history. So that's kind of where I went with it. I mean, you know, they both play the same position. They a little bit different skill sets, but they were, you know, very important players on, you know, very important teams of their era, but they were both guys that I think were talented enough to do more than they did, but they either weren't required to in James Worthy's case or didn't want to in Rashid's case. So that's kind of where I went with it. No, I, I love it. Um, I also love when people go back a little further in time. It's it, it gets, I love talking about the older guys. So, I mean, Worthy's an excellent one. Again, the UNC connections even better. Um, and it, and I, I like your point about, you know, could they, could they have carried the load without, you know, in Worthy's case, Johnson and Kareem or in Rashid's case, of course, the, the whole Pistons team there. And, you know, I think Rashid proved it honestly a little more than even Worthy did. And it, Worthy didn't really have the opportunity to, but, you know, as we talked about earlier, Rashid took the Lakers to game seven of the Western conference finals. And again, if he 
he wins that game seven. They win the finals. We are now talking, Rashid, about the best player on a championship team. And then he was the third best player on the 2004 Pistons. And then, hell, if we want to keep going, you know, alternate histories here, if they win again in back-to-backs in 2005, now he's a, a three-time champion, led the Pistons early on, in, or I'm sorry, led the Blazers early on, and then back-to-back Pistons, third, you know, role guy. That's a totally different career now where we're talking and probably he's a better player than James Worthy. However, of course, that's not what I'll happened. do you one better, actually. Yeah, go, go, go nuts here. What about he was because he was on the last year before he retired, and then I mean, he came back the with Celtics the Celtics team that 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 Celtics yeah. team that went seven with the Lakers in the 2010 finals. Uh, like, he, the, I know he was like kind of a role he player was just on, a that big guy he was on that a team, a bench yeah. player, but could that have been like what people talk about in his legacy as like? They hear like Bill Walton coming off the bench for the sure. 86 Celtics or like yeah. somebody like that, where he wasn't like one of their core players, but he was on the team and actually played a role on that team. Like could, you know, if that, if the Celtics had won that game seven against the Lakers in the finals that year, do, you know, do we view Rashid being an important player on that team is, do we, do we put that as part of this also? It, it, exactly. There's a lot of what ifs with Rashid as well as, as you said, like talent wise, he, he is like, I, I was born in 89, so I grew up watching basketball in the 90s. So I've been around for Yeah, you and I so, are the same age. Yeah, we're around the same age. So talent-wise, and, and there's a lot of players in the era of Rashid where, like, like so, okay, so I had Chris Bosh down, but another player I had down in this era was Chris Weber. I like that. And, and, and the reason I had Chris Weber is because, to me, Chris Weber is probably one of the most talented players to ever play in the NBA, yet his career is nothing like, Tim Duncan or Kevin Garnett or, or some of those guys, but the talent I think was the same, if not better in, in talent wise. I don't know if Rashid is as talented as Chris Weber, but I think he's almost there. Derek Coleman's another one that just never put it all together, but the talent was there. And I mean, Rashid was so ahead of his time. I mean, he comes in league in 95. He's already the ideal stretch four five of today's game. Um, he's six ten. He can shoot threes. He can get to the hole. He plays defense. He's super long. I mean, people would be drooling over Rasheed Wallace in today's NBA, and he he was way ahead of his time. And he put, again, he almost took Portland past Shaq and Kobe. Like, I cannot, and again, those Blazers teams were great, but Rasheed was the best player on that team. He and was. And a 25-year-old, he almost took him there. Um, if not for that, you know, and he had a really bad fourth quarter in that game seven, but they were up like this guy talent wise, one of the most talented players, yet he was fine being this role guy. Some players it works out for the James Worthy of the world. Again, James Worthy was the number one pick in the 82 draft when he when Jordan was a freshman at UNC in 82 Worthy was the best guy on that team. And, and it's just. It's but Worthy was okay, kind of. I don't know if he had a choice actually with Magic and Kareem, but he took the third role on that team and he won three championships. And you know, he you did see he could go to the next level because he won the finals MVP that one year. Rashid never really had that, I guess, opportunity to be the third guy on all these teams that Worthy did. He was along for the I don't want to say he was along for the ride, the guy's a Hall of Famer, he's an all time great, but. Worthy situation, everything kind of worked out. Wallace, we just did a bunch of what ifs and it didn't really work out. And sometimes in basketball, that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. And the fact that this was Rashid's mentality where he wasn't just about, oh, I want more touches. I want more shots. I want to be the featured guy on offense. I just think about the way that the NBA is talked about now, like on all the debate shows and just the way that, you know, we're questioning whether a guy wants to win if he's not, you know, the best guy on a team or, you know, does he really want it enough if he's, if he's willing to just be a glue guy? Like I, I feel like if Rashid was playing today, you talk about how just incredibly well his game would translate as far as his skill set, And I agree with you on that, but I also feel like we would be in a situation with him where, he might be like the Anthony Davis where in, in terms of 
you would always have like Stephen A. Smith and like the <laughs> TNT guys talking about like, well, he doesn't want it enough because he yep. isn't taking control of like, I feel like there would be some of that with him too. So even though skill wise and you know what his game is, he would be incredible today. I feel like there would be that element of the way people talked about him also. Yeah. So um, Sean, I want to go to our final segment here. We call this court. Uh-huh. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And, and we've been doing this throughout, but we're going to drill into a, a few other areas here. And this is where we talk about, again, a little more Hall of Fame specific case for, case against. And I have a couple exercises we're going to do here. But before I do, I, I, I want to, we, we've, I've talked about the talent Rashid had a bit. Um, and, and again, a guy, the guy could shoot from outside. He could go inside. He could rebound. He was a shot blocker. He never made it any all defensive teams, which I'm curious about because from advanced metrics as well as counting stats, I mean, the guy averaged 1.3 blocks per game for his career and one point, uh, one steal a game for his entire career, finished his career with over a thousand blocks, a thousand steals. Only 28 people have ever done that. And everyone that's done that except seven people, including Rashid are in the hall of fame today. So it's, it's not easy to do that. The thousand block thousand steel club is not an easy thing to do. So he kind of did it all on, on his actual talent on the, on the basketball court. Cause I'm naming a, a lot of great things here. What were his weaknesses on the basketball court, at least from a ability to do something? Was it simply, you know, maybe he wasn't the best playmaker, you know, his passing numbers were never ideal. What weaknesses did he really have from a talent perspective? Because for me, he's almost this complete package of what you would want in a big man back then and especially in today's game. I think the passing, if you had to point to one thing, was probably it. But other than that, like he checks pretty much every box of what you would want in a modern big man. I think the weakness was sort of some of the stuff we talked about before where he would get technical fouls a lot and get thrown out of games and he would not be able to keep his cool in a lot of places. I think that affected the way that I think he was, he was thought about and maybe the way, the way that he was able to be available. So like they literally put in that rule, like after he had that season where he got 41 technicals, which I think is the most unbreakable record in sports. I, okay. Uh, wait, 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 really a quick shot before you keep going. I can't, I'm proud of us because we went 36 minutes to a Rashid Wallace podcast without talking about this technical foul record. What about, is, the, what about, which, what about when he, the other, the other thing that kind of is in that part of it, but uh, in that sort of that, uh, that uh, same kind of area of his career and his reputation, he got in trouble one time when he was on, on Portland for confronting a referee at the loading docks after a game, that referee, Tim Donaghy, who actually was yes. betting on games. <laughs> And, and I, I believe Joey Crawford was there and he said he wished Rashid beat his ass. I, I think that's pretty much what she said. Yeah. But it's like, you, you, you think like, oh, this is like totally out of line for Rashid to be confronting a referee. And then when the referee in question gets, you know, put in jail for, you know, a gambling you know, scheme that betting on games that he was working, it was like, you know what? She might've had a point with that one. Yeah, but okay. I'm sorry. Anyway. I'm proud of us. We went this far in. We were focusing on the talent on yes. the court. But but this is important. This is a part of the narrative about Rashid because in our earlier segment, our first one, what comes to mind? I know you was your childhood and you're from out that area. That's fine. But I would imagine if I ask anyone around in Chicagoland about Rashid Wallace, they're bringing up the technical. So oh, talk yeah. about why it's so unbreakable. Because it the rule in place now, it, it is unbreakable. It won't be Joe DiMaggio's 56 game hitting streak will be touched before this record's touched. So go oh, ahead. Oh, yeah, like Shohei Otani is going to do that in like two years. That's <laughs> that's like, no, but I think it's unbreakable because they put that rule in where when you get to 16, you get suspended. And now guys are so, A, guys are so disincentivized from doing it. And B, like, it's to the point now where uh <laughs> teams will appeal if, if it's getting close to that suspension mark or, you know, you get enough technical points or flagrant points, teams will appeal to the league office. And a lot of times, if it's not something egregious, they'll be able to get a lot of that stuff rescinded. Whereas that kind of stuff just never really came into account back in Rashid's day. Yep. 
Yeah, so so 41 technical fouls in that 2001. It broke the previous record, which was 38, which was set by Rashid the year before. <laughs> um, is he, it going to be one of those like Wilt Chamberlain score? Like where whenever like Joel Embiid has some crazy line stat line, it's like only 10 players on in NBA history have had this stat line, and then they show the list, and six of them are Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> He's like the Wilt Chamberlain it, of technicals. It, it, it kind of <laughs> is. He he holds the NBA record for most career ejections with 29, but he's third all time. This is surprising to me. And I'm, I'm going to, I don't know if you looked this up. If you didn't, this will be fun. He's third in NBA history in lifetime technicals. He's not first. He's third with 317. There's two people ahead of him. The guy in first is 332. And there's a guy in second is 329. So Wallace fell just behind these two. Who do you think's ahead of him? Oh, God. I'm thinking. Uh, give me an era. It's uh, same era, basically. A little a little before. The, these, when, when Rashid came to the league, these guys were already Wiley vets, but they played in the same time period with Rashid for a bit. Uh, same position. Bill Lambeer was one of them? No. Was it I'm somebody shocked. on He's... one of those bad boy pistons? No. Teams? Was that? No, I don't think they were given no. technicals back then. They kind of just let them punch each other, right? So, so you're talking more 90s than 80s. More very 90s. Uh, Allen Iverson. No. Uh, I'll give you two more guesses, and I'll tell you. I'm just trying to think of guys that like referees didn't. You like. know what? I'm, because a I'm big not... part of it is like that was why sure. I went with Allen Iverson because a big part of it was like referees all didn't like Sheed, and so he sure. had like a much lower standard of what constitutes a technical than sure. some other people. It's two power forwards in the '90s, and they're both Hall of Famers. Kevin Garnett, obviously. No, right? No, no. Okay, I'm going to tell you. This is okay, hard. who are I'm, they? I'm putting you on the spot here. Obviously, this is not scripted, ladies and gentlemen. No, but because um, I'm, I'm, all the guys I'm naming so, are like who the obvious ones would be. So, none- so number one is Carl Malone. That makes the sense. Ma- the mailman. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he played forever too, so it makes sense. And then number two, maybe it's surprising, maybe it's not, Charles Barkley. That also isn't surprising. Yeah. I so should have now. I now I feel like I mean now now now, now I feel sense, like an right? idiot for not thinking no. about Barkley. Like no, Malone, it, Malone, I try to Malone, I try to avoid thinking about as much as possible for obvious reasons. But like yes, KG's yeah. a great guess. KG's a great guess. Gar- Garnett is who I would have guessed, but now I yeah. feel like an idiot for not thinking of Barkley. No, but yeah, no, that, that totally that totally tracks though. You're good. So yeah, Rashid's third all time in technical fouls, first all time in career ejections, and holds the top two most technical fouls in a season. And yes. Like Wilt Chamberlain, those will not be touched. In 50 years, you're going to look at, I, I think the league leader last year in technicals, I want to say it was like 15 or 16. Because again, once they get near that suspension, they, you, you're, just, you're careful about that because then you have to sit after each following technical, which again is and it's why probably you, like Marcus Smart, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's Marcus Smart. I think it was. I think JoJo's up there too, though, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I, the only but, reason the only reason it wasn't Draymond is because he missed a bunch of time this year. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, we went on a long tangent there about that, but yeah, ejections. Um, that that like again, that's what I think of when I think of Rashid. Um, I I think of everything else secondary, which I think when you're talking about a Hall of Fame case and you're talking about voters who you know they maybe they didn't cover those teams, they they're younger voters and. They think of Rashid Wallace and they Google Rashid Wallace. Like it or not, those ejections, those ejection records, him being at the top of these lists, that will come up in your Google search real quickly. And again, I'm sure they do more due diligence than just that. But like, um, you know, I'm trying to think of other sports like Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens didn't get in the Hall of Fame his first year because of all of the antics he had and, so and many baseball of, players don't get in the hall of fame because it, it, beat writers it, hold grudges the one thing i would exactly. push back uh, yeah. the one thing i'll push back here is go for it i just don't have any insight at all into how the basketball hall of fame decision process is because we don't know like with, with the baseball one and the football one we know who the voters are and we like do. the ballots are released and a lot of them you know, it's basically like with baseball, it's like anybody who's been a BBWA member for, uh, I think it's 10 years, gets a ballot. And so we kind of have an idea of who's voting. The Basketball Hall of Fame is totally backroom, totally secret. Mm-hmm. I have no idea who actually votes, who has influence, how many times different people have voted on. Like, none of that stuff is known. And so I can't even speak to 
this is what the people who are deciding it might be valued because we just have no clue who those people even are because it's such a state secret by the by the organization. It's the worst Hall of Fame setup by far, and my listeners know this because I complain about it all the time. But yeah, you have no idea what's going on there. Well, so there's just no standard. Like there's there's no, no consistency. It's whatever where, they like, want. It's whatever well, it's, they want. It's, it's whatever they want. Like. I have no idea. Like we, we talked about this already. I have no idea how it took Chris Weber this long to get in. Yeah. Well, so you, so you brought up, so we did a Chris Weber episode before he got in and now he's uh-huh. in and, and we both me and um, talked to James Ham out in Sacramento. I know James quite well. Yeah. So James is great. So we talked about in quite, quite length of why he was waiting for so long. Cause James and I both felt like he should be in and it was a no brainer to us. And, and, and James really just said, you know, Chris Weber was not, very likable and and the media didn't really like him and you brought up earlier that Rashid and the media didn't get along that much so that might not bode very well for Rashid at the end of the day fair or not again you say and you're talking about Rashid not being on any all defensive teams I wonder yeah. if because that is something that like beat writers vote on I wonder all if that he was not on all no all NBA teams either yeah that's was, the other thing because I was looking at this I was like looking at his basketball reference page when it when you, again, when you asked me to do this, I started looking at all this different stuff and I was like, well, no, you know, no top 10 MVP finishes. No, you know, he made some all-star teams, but that was like voted by the coaches and the, and the fans. But so, but like no top 10 MVP finishes, no all NBA, no all defense. I think he got like some down ballot votes for all rookie. And that's like it basically. Yeah. No, he was, he was close a few years on all NBA. They, they, on rep, on, um, Basketball reference now, they actually show the vote totals. So he he was very close to making it one year. I think uh, Dirk Nowinski beat him by like a vote or two. But yeah, outside of that, again, no All-NBAs, four-time All-Star. And you know, when you really like, I want to, I got two more things before we go to final verk here. But like, if you if you were saying a case against him as well, um, I would go to, again, as you said earlier, Rasheed Wallace was perfectly fine fitting in on a team and doing what needs to be done, which I feel like is what a lot of coaches pray they get from a person of his talent. But if you look at his like peak seasons in the NBA, I think this hurts him a bunch too, especially if you're going to whoever the voters are at the time, if they're just looking really quickly at numbers and they didn't watch all the games, they don't go back and watch the film, like his highest scoring average in a season was 19.3 points per game in 2002, right? He never broke 20. He has three seasons with over 18 points a game. If you look at rebounds, 8.2 rebounds per game was his highest season. Um, He only had eight plus rebounds twice, and then he was a power forward. Uh, 1.8 blocks. He was a great shot blocker, but he never averaged over two blocks in a, a season. We talked about his passing earlier. Never averaged over three assists in a season. So you look at that like, you know, when we're thinking of the power forwards from that era, and I'm going to talk about the power forwards in that era in just a second, you're thinking the Duncans, the KGs. Um, you're even thinking, we talked about earlier, Weber. We talked about a little later, Amari Stoudemire, people like that. Those guys all have those 2010 seasons they rack up year after year. You know, Rasheed Walls didn't have that. And if you're looking at, again, he was consistent throughout his career. He was a winner. He was in the playoffs every single year for the most part, going far. But if you're looking for these... Was he the best, you know, top 10 guy that year, top 15 guy that year? It's hard to, you can point to it from a talent standpoint. It's hard to point from it from at least a statistical standpoint. If you're just trying to eyeball box scores, you know, basketball reference pages, because he doesn't have those seasons to really grab onto. Yeah, that case against him would be, the accolade, the accolades, like we said, he was never like on all NBA teams. He had four all-star appearances, which is fine, but that doesn't guarantee you. A, there are a lot of four-time all-stars who sure. weren't in the Hall of Fame. He never got any top 10 MVP finishes, you know, the accolades. And then, like you said, and like I said earlier, when because when we were talking about James Worthy, like James Worthy did have a couple of seasons where he averaged over 20 points a game, but his numbers don't just like jump off the screen as like, wow, these are incredible numbers either so I think that I think the case against Sheed would mostly be he didn't have the numbers and he didn't have the uh accolades that yeah, would kind and, of be and, where I would go and I brought him up earlier I didn't talk about too much because we got on a Weber kind of rant but you know Chris Bosch right he's in the hall of fame gone his second yeah. year he has one all NBA team to his name 
So that's and that was when he was in Toronto, right? That's when he was in Toronto. Um, and that's it. So, I mean, once he went to the heat and was that complimentary piece, he was not sniffing all NBA. He, he did make the all-star game like every year, but that's because he was in the East and there was no one else to put in, but that's beside the point. So last thing I want to get to before final verdict, and, and this should be fun. And I do this a lot of the times because it's important to talk about the contemporaries, right? You, you talked about worthy. That was not as contemporary. Weber was in the league, of course, with Rashid, actually a teammate of Rashid for, wait, was he on the bullets when Rashid went yeah. there? No. Okay. He was. For the overlap for a couple of years. Him, Howard, they were all there together. Okay. Anyway. So I was looking at the one thing about Rashid that goes, it's not like it's against him. It's not any, his. it's not his fault, but he happened to be in like the golden air, I would say of power forwards, just a glut of all time talent. And I was taking a look, and again, he played from 95, um, you know, through the, the end of the decade of the 2000s. What he was last season was 2010, so 95 to 2010. During that time, really great power forwards in the league. So I made a list of the power forwards that kind of overlapped with him. And I want to go through it with you. I want to see where Rashid fits on this list in terms of, like, who is better. So. Okay. So I have, I'm not going to even waste our time with these top five guys. Like the Garnett, these, Duncan. Yeah, Robert, so, so like. top five, like Malone, Duncan, Garnett, Nowinski, even Paul Gasol. I have them all well yeah, above. Yeah, yeah. Are you okay I, with that? Okay. Absolutely, yeah. So this is where- Are we I putting Barkley in there too? Oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. Now I'm the idiot. Barkley, of course, is in there. Yes. Okay. So, so Bark, I mean, he was really at the tail end of his career when he came in, but I'm going to put him in anyway. Okay, so they're all well above, and that's fine because these are all no-brainer Hall of Famers. I, I feel a little weird now, Gasol being in that tier. Maybe there's that tier, and then Gasol, and then there's the next tier. So, oh, I think Powell should be a Hall of Famer easily. Oh, no, he, he is. But I don't feel good having him next to Duncan and Garnett sure, and Nowitzki. Yeah. So, so it's those guys, then Gasol, and now we're going to the next tier. So I will ask you, I'll, I'll name a player if you feel – that Rashid Wallace is better, say yes. If you think the player I'm naming is better, say no. Okay. So it's is Rashid better than player X? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Chris Weber. Uh no. Sean Marion. Yes. But I think Sean Marion should be a Hall of Famer too. That's a whole other discussion. We we do listeners, we do have a Sean Marion episode out there. Sean Kemp. Yes. Amari Stoudemire. That's a tough one. I think just based on the defensive, how much better Rashid was defensively, I'm going to go yes. Elton Brand. Yes. Okay, and I think the rest are going to be yes, but I want to name them for fun because I love talking about them. Antonio McDice. Oh, God, yes. All-NBA team, Antonio McDice. Andre Kurlenko. Yes. Boozer. Oh, easily. And Lamar Odom. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Lamar Odom uh, would be an interesting one. I, I'm not the person to do it with, but Lamar Odom would be a really interesting one for you to do an episode of this show about. I don't know if you already have or not. We have not. Okay. So I'm going to count where you had him. So we have Malone, one, two, three, four, five, six. You have a no for Weber. You have a, that's, I think that's all I know you said. So. One, two. You have him ranked eighth of the people, eighth best power forward of that time. See, and that, and honestly, among those names, that's really good. I mean, you have him right behind Chris Weber. You have him behind every Hall of Famer, but you have him above everyone else. And like you said, Sean Marion has a great Hall of Fame case. Sean Marion was also a three at, at a lot of points in his career. He'd be a four yeah. now, but he was a three a lot of the time. So I don't even know if it's fair to put him in the, yeah, that, in that's the same fair. category. That's another a thousand steal, a thousand block guy that got no all defensive teams to be fair to. Um, Sean Marion like, was Draymond before Draymond. He, he kind of In terms was, of like yeah. how much, how important he was to those Phoenix teams defensively. Exactly. And then also that Dallas team that he won the tab, the title with in 2011. So, so here's the funny part about this. So I, I have Rashid a little lower. I actually have him 11th. So I have Weber ahead of him, but I also have Marion Studmeyer and Kemp ahead of him. I have everyone okay. else behind him. 
And we were just talking about All-NBA, like people like Stoudemire, he's a five-time All-NBA guy. Uh, even, you know, Kemp was a three-time All-NBA guy, took the Sonics to the finals, of course, didn't win. Marion and him are very, you know, interesting. He's two-time All-NBA, Weber's five-time All-NBA. So for those guys, that's where, again, I think that's the big knock against Rashid. My eyes gravitate to those All-NBA teams and those help me, you know, justify me putting Rashid behind him. But again, if we're talking talent, other than Weber, I think Rashid's more talented, all of them. And again, if you talk about playoff success, winning, which is important and should be important when we're talking about the Hall of Fame, Rashid Wallace is a much better winner than all of these guys. He probably played in more conference finals than all of those guys combined, I want to say. He played in three NBA finals. So if you're talking about that, Rasheed Wallace is better. So again, I have him 11th, you have him 7th, but at the same time, we're talking about some really, he's in the mix there of some, a lot of the borderline guys of the Hall of Fame. And you thought about it for Weber for a second, who's already in. I think that, I think that's a good kind of case for Wallace in terms of he is in the ballpark of these guys who are very borderline, if not in the Hall of Fame already, when we're talking about the best power forwards of that air. Absolutely. And the other part of this too is, is just as far as hall of fame cases go is like we said earlier, the hall of fame is so inconsistent with who they do and don't let in. So it's not even like he has better numbers than this guy who's in, that means he's going to get in or he doesn't have as good numbers as this guy who's not in, which means he has no chance of getting like, it's, it's so, it's so hard to predict. And then, when you add in like a lot of guys who are just like in there because of college or just because of their internet, like Arvidas Sabonis, who's was on those Blazers teams with him. He was pretty good with the Blazers. He wouldn't be in the hall of fame with not for his his career playing overseas before he got to the NBA. Like that's why he's in the hall of fame. And you know, a lot, a lot of these, a lot of these guys, I mean, Rashid was a very good player at Carolina. So I don't know how much of that we're going to have to factor in also. Yeah, no, and you you do factor in. I, I, I that's why Ralph Sampson's in, right? He yeah. barely played in the NBA. That's why, honestly, Bill Bill Walton probably gets in anyway, just because of the championship he won with the Blazers, the MVP, all that. But I mean, it's he got in no doubt because of the UCLA part of you know his story. He's one of the best college players of all time. You know, Grant Hill, Grant Hill, just because like even though like he he had an incredible career before the injuries, but people were able to look past the injuries. And how the second half of his career was cut short because he was because he was so good at Duke that that was part of it. I I think there's a like a reasonable chance that one day JJ Redick is going to be in the Hall of Fame just no because of, no just no, because no. of the Duke stuff. Not even be, no like, if they put JJ Redick and I'm going to stop doing basketball episodes on this. I won't, <laughs> I'll have to put everyone in them. But no, you know, so my listeners know this because I'm basketball specifically, as you said earlier, Sean. It's kind of like what do they care about? They're uh-huh. supposed to, there's, I've talked to some voters who are no longer voters. They are supposed to look at high school, college, everything's supposed to be factored in. It, it uh-huh. definitely does not, but it, it's supposed to be in Rashid. I mean, he was USA Today's high school player of the year um, out of his high school in Philly. His numbers retired at UNC. He helped them get to the final four. He was an all American there. His numbers retired. Like he had a great career there. So, I mean, that can slightly be factored in, but. Again, I think if I had to guess, I mean, international plays in too, but he doesn't have that. But right, I feel like most voters who I've at least talked to, like, what do you actually care about? It's 95% NBA, which which is, I again, I can't speak for all the voters, but I, I, I would say it's very, uh, it leans very heavily into what they do in the NBA. But Sean, do you want to get to our final verdict here? I ask you two questions here at the end. I ask you, do you think if you had a vote, would you vote Rasheed Wallace into the Hall of Fame? And then my second question to you is, do you think Rasheed Wallace ever gets into the Hall of Fame? Okay. So I think he's a guy where I don't know. And again, I don't know how the ballot works or how many people each voter is allowed to vote for every year. So if it's a situation where he's on the ballot or he's a finalist, and you're allowed to vote for up to three, let's say, because usually not more than three or four NBA guys get in, in a year, usually. Yep. If he's in there in a year where there's a class like of first time eligible guys, like 
you know, the Kobe Garnett Duncan year or the Shaq Yao Iverson year where it's like, there's so many guys that are like clearly no brainers. Then if, if he's on the ballot in a year like that, he probably wouldn't get my vote. But if it was like kind of a softer year, then it would be somebody I would take a look at. Now, do I think he will get in? Yes. Because I think that I I don't know when it's going to be. It might be five years from now it might be 10 years from now i don't think it's a priority for whoever is deciding these things but i think as more time goes by rashid is going to be looked at as a guy from a bygone era that people look back with a lot more nostalgia than maybe they did in the moment and he might be like put in like a couple years ago like bob dandridge or something was put in recently where people look at him you know 20 30 years after he's done playing and say yeah you know this guy should probably be in he was one of the most you know notable and impactful guys of that era and he was you know one of the best players on that championship team like let's put him in I think that's going to happen at some point in the coming decades but I don't know when that's going to be all right um so I I would say I would not vote him in okay um and I actually don't think he's going to get in and, and I think it really ties around where I place him among, again, I think, unfortunately for him, I, I think it was just, <laughs> I think if you replace career nine more times, I think he probably has a hall of fame career, maybe the other nine times. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think he just, like we said, all those, what ifs the 2000 Western conference finals, those back-to-back championships, if they win another championship, now he's a two-time champion. I think that changes the narrative a lot. If he makes some of these all NBA teams or makes an all defensive team, the, these accolades of, you know, I, I feel like when voters look back, they look at, okay, well, how are they being reviewed by the people that were watching them? How many, like all-star games, I don't look at as much. Cause like I said, I mean, Jamal McGlure has made an all-star team. Like I, th- sometimes that can just be, there's no one good in the conference. Chris Bosch is an 11 time all-star. He's definitely not 11 time all-star really, but four all-star teams, but then the accolades kind of end there. You got to give me a couple championships there. Then if, if you're going to get in and he just, again, he has the one. And again, I think one more championship or something like that, or a, a couple all NBA teams, I think that changes the narrative. So I don't think he gets in. And again, I have him as the 11th best power forward. Again, if you want to throw Marion out of there in et cetera, because Amari was a center sometimes, but he's out of the top 10. I have this, methodology which is not very concrete and I change all the time but I usually say you know if you're a top five person at your position while you're playing or in the decade that you played you have a very good chance at the hall of fame sometimes there's a lot of great players so sixth or seventh best you can still have really good odds but top five is where I start really thinking about you as a hall of famer I have them at 11 that's really far out of that top five realm so between that lack of all NBA teams, lack of all defensive teams, whether they've been his fault or not. I, I just, I don't think he should be in. I think he's all very good. And then I don't think he, I don't think he gets in just because again, I think they're look at that era. They'll be like, okay, we already put like some of these players we named of that air who are not in the hall of fame already. Sean Marion, Amari, Sean Kemp. I think some of those guys, I think maybe two of those three guys end up getting in. I don't think they're going to look back at there and be like, well, we already put in, we only put in eight power forwards. We better put a ninth in. I, I just could see that glut really hurting him now. I don't know, 50 years from now, who knows? I mean, his, his advanced metrics, we didn't really talk about this, grade him out very well. Like his value over replacement player, his defensive plus minus win shares, he's over a hundred. Maybe in 50 years, that's all we care about. I mean, it started to be cared about a lot already, but it's like baseball and that's all we care about. Like all anyone in baseball can talk about when I was war, which should not mean everything, but it does now to a lot of people. Maybe in the future, that's all, all you care about is value over replacement player in the future or defensive plus minus or, and, and now Rashid's like this darling. And they're like, how did we forget about Rashid? Then I could see him getting in. I just can't say as, as of today, I, I see it happening. So I'm a no on both. If he ever got in though, I would be one of the first people there to go, you know, check it out. And if he was alive for it, I would definitely want to be there for that speech. Oh God. Yeah. The, his, the <laughs> speech would be legendary. That's the, that's the other part of this. We haven't even really gotten into a lot of the personality stuff. I'm really excited to see how this 
this coaching stint with the Lakers is going to go. Oh my gosh. Right. It's yeah. going to be fun. Um, I will see if the, he keeps adding to his technical count. Right. Do you think that can we combine his coaching technicals with his, uh, with his player technicals so we can get the record from Carmelone? It'll be his version of how like <laughs> Phil Jackson has 11 rings, but two of them were as a player. So like uh, it, it, it's going to be the Rashid version of that. <laughs> All right, Sean. Um, so that wraps up the podcast on Rashid Walls. Had a blast doing it. Before we get you out of here, anything you want to plug here at the end? Absolutely. I just recently, for those of you who are listening, who are Portland Trailblazers fans or just want to keep up with what's going on with that team, which is this, you know, I live in Portland. I cover that team a lot on a kind of day-to-day basis. I just started a new uh thing you, you you just mentioned my guy James Ham earlier it's kind of a similar thing to what he's doing in Sacramento with the Kings beat it's called the Rose Garden Report it's a newsletter which has both free and uh paid content which I would encourage you to go subscribe to and then I also have a podcast that's called the same thing the Rose Garden Report which is available on uh all the usual iTunes Spotify all, all that stuff so rosegardenreport.beehive which is b-e-e-h-i-i-v.com and so just go just go check that out I'm doing a lot of cool stuff I just got got it off the ground a week ago and so I'm response has been great so far reaction has been great so far a lot of people seem like they're enjoying it and I, I'm excited about where it's going to go everyone go subscribe check that out um you know Sean obviously was a great guest. His podcast is obviously going to be super successful. Go read his writing as well. Sean, I, I'll make sure to subscribe. I, I, I'm curious about the Blazers coming up um, this year. You know, the sharp picks, very interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel I feel like the Grant trade makes me want to be like, okay, let's win now with Dame, but the sharp seems like a long time play. What are, what are we going to, real quick for the listeners, what do you expect out of the Blazers coming up this year? Are they, are they making the playoffs? Can they make the playing game? What, what, are, what are you thinking here? Their goal is to make the playoffs. And obviously you, you know, we have to wait and see what they do the rest of the off season. They have more moves to make, I think, as far as putting guys there, but like the, uh, every sense, I mean, the sharp pick, you're, you're totally right. That was an upside play. They did try to move the pick. They went after, you know, OG Ananobi was one guy that they pursued Mm -hmm. John Collins also like the, so they, they did try to trade that pick for more win now guys, but, trading for Jeremy Grant Dame is coming back off of that uh ab surgery that he had where he missed most of last season their goal is to make the playoffs and compete we'll see what they're able to do and how successful that is but that's the goal all right well we'll have to see I mean I I know hockey playoffs just ended NBA finals of course have already over now it's just baseball until football starts so I cannot wait for basketball season to start and it will be here before we know it I'm sure Sean, really appreciate you coming on again. That's Rose Garden Report. Make sure you go subscribe. Check that out. Sean, really good time today. Uh, Good luck with the podcast and everything you're doing. It sounds great. And um, take care. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is a lot of fun. All right. So I want to thank Sean again for coming on the podcast. Had so much fun talking about Rashid Wallace. watching Rashid Wallace game film, getting ready for this, remembering how he got thrown out of game sometimes, even just by staring at referees. It was a fun time prep of this one. And, and Sean was a great guest. So make sure you check out his podcast. That's all I have for you today. If you don't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Pod of Fame. And have a great 4th of July. If you're listening to the 4th of July, if it's later in the week, I hope you had a good 4th of July. But have a great week. Take care. And the world.